All right, chapter 5, verse 13 of 2 Corinthians. The word of the Lord reads like this. For, and I'm reading out of ESV, but it's probably New King James up there. For if we are beside ourselves, and, and some translations may say, or if we are out of our mind, um, literally, I mean, some translations do say that. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And we're going to jump down to verse 21, the last verse in the chapter. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you. I need you, Lord. I need your help tonight, Father. I don't want to just speak something from cleverness, Lord, or because I got some words in a row lined up earlier in the day or anything like that, Father, but I want only what you would have me to speak tonight to come forth, Lord. Um, and I just ask for your help as we dive into the Word, Lord, that you would open it to us and that you would strengthen us, Father, that you would encourage us, Lord, and that you would reprove us so that we may walk in your ways and that we would know you closer and that we would walk with one another in a greater measure of fellowship, Father, in Jesus' name. And so something just right off the bat, if you didn't notice just in that very passage, that he keeps saying this for your sake or for our sake or for his sake. And tonight in all the passages that we go to, something I want you to pay attention to is that constantly you will hear that for your sake, for our sake, for his sake, okay? Um, and if I was going to put a title on this message, it would be called The Lack of Devo Devotion to Christ in His Church and the Serious Need for It. And so I, I want to first go in, and we're going to go over in a second uh, and see an example of Christ and how He had a heartfelt devotion to the Father. You know, He only did what the Father told Him to do. He only said what the Father told him to say. It's, he said, my will, or my food is do the will of the Father. You know, I have food that you know nothing about. You know, and so we're going to see that example. And then later on, we're going to go and we're going to see an example in the Scripture of <laughs> what, you know, uh, is not devotion, but what kind of works are produced out of a false devotion or, or something that's really of self but not of of Christ, and then we're going to see an example of Moses and of Paul, you know, and how their life had this devotion to God, you know, what was produced, what was produced in their life as a result of that devotion. And so we're going to just dive into those scriptures. But something I really first wanted to highlight um, is verse 15, and it said, "And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live." For themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So let's go over to uh, John 
real quick because we're going to hit several passages and I'm going to try to move a little quick because there's a lot of scripture and I really would like the scripture to, to speak tonight a lot more than just me you know because um, his word is powerful and his truth can transform us and so we're asking tonight that his truth would transform us and guide us and direct us you know and so let's just get into this and then uh I'm going to read it so we can get one example out of the way, and then I'm going to, you know, dive in a little more and explain a little more. Uh, starting at John chapter 17 and verse 1. I'll give everybody just a second. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so, look at this. Right now, Jesus, in my most favorite verse, probably, that Jesus ever said is verse 4. And he said, I have brought glory to you here on the earth by accomplishing the work you sent me here to do. And so, this is what I want to really point out tonight. That Christ had such a devotion to the Father. See, now a lot of us would maybe think that, well, that's it. You know, but why I really love what he said, I have brought glory to you here on the earth by accomplishing the work you sent me here to do. What I love about it is it's, it's not from like, oh, well, I'm just going to do this work because of how great I am, you know, but because of the love that he had for him. It wasn't about Jesus or the benefit that he had from it. And I believe that the next verse shows that. And he says, now glorify me, Father, in your own presence with the glory that we shared before the foundations of the world. And so Jesus' true heart was to be back with him, to, to enjoy what he had with the Father before the foundations of the world. But he came and humbled himself to the form of a man and came here and accomplished the work that the Father sent him here to do because he loved him. Because of that overwhelming joy and that love that he had in himself before the foundations of the world caused him to come and do the will of the Father. You know, and in the church these days, you know, one of the examples we're going to begin to look at, you know, is the difference. And the church has become more what I've seen like a social club, you know, and, and, and I'm guilty of it. And as I was praying over this message and as the Lord was developing this message in my heart, you know, I became more and more convicted over this last week, you know, how much I lack a, a true and genuine devotion to the Lord. You know, and what I've seen in my own life and what I've seen in others and what I've seen in so many churches is that people come and identify with Christ in the church because of the benefit that there is. Maybe because of the people that they get to know. You know, maybe because there's people that tell them things that make them feel good. You know, uh, maybe because certain people in the community see that they go to this church and so they just assume that they have something right you know, with them, you know, or, or maybe they just enjoy the music, 
or whatever it may be. But the reason for them coming and being a part of a church or a body is all centered around self and not centered around knowing the living God and only doing what he would have us to do and only saying what he would have us to do to accomplish the work that he sent him to do. That is not the motivation. It's something totally different. The reason why they go to church, the reason why we go to church, the reason why we go to these groups, the reason why we read these devotionals even is because of a feeling that we get and how it benefits us. And that's really the only thought that we ever have in the church is about how it all benefits me. And it's a gospel of self. And any gospel of self is a false gospel. The gospel is this, that you would deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. If it's not calling you to die, if it's not calling you to give up what you want, if it doesn't cost you something, it ain't the gospel. Period. It ain't. You know? And, and so I want to look at Jesus, and I want to look at some other men of God in the Bible, and how they'll show you constantly. And that's why you're going to hear things tonight for your sake, for our sake, for his sake. And it's all over the scripture. It's everywhere. Everywhere. And, and the examples I see of godly men, everything they did was not with their benefit in mind, but it was with his and others so that they could come to know him. How much do you focus on that? And if we're really honest, if I'm honest with myself, how much do I really focus on just doing his will so that I can love others and that they can come to know him? If I'm really honest, or is everything I really do so that I can be more comfortable? Even in the church. And that's what I really want to press and I really want to point out tonight. In the church, what we're doing, is that really your mindset? How I can just be with him? How I can just serve him? How I can just accomplish his work because I love him and what he has done for me? Is that my motivation or is it, man, I can't wait to, you know, see all my friends? And that's good and there's a place for that, you know. But if it's not flowing from because I love him and because he died for me and he saved me and he brought me into the family of the Lord, do I want to see these people? Or is it just about how it benefits me? And so that's what I really want to point out today. Because if we're truly have a devotion to the Lord, and I'm talking about a personal, close relationship, then the work that we do, the acts that we do, and the way that we interact with people will be totally different. And there's a lot of people, the, the Pharisees, they did all kinds of works and all kinds of things, and everybody thought they were very spiritual, but they were dead works. They amounted to nothing. Like Paul said, every man's work will be tested, whether it be silver, gold, or precious rubies, or precious gems, or if it's straw, hay, and stubble, you know, and there's a difference. So let's just read on a little bit. Um, we're going to jump over to verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. 
While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And so there's a few things I just want to point out real quick. All of Jesus' motivation and, and something that you're going to see in Moses when we, we look at Moses and when we look at Paul is that they're always praying for the body because they're seeking to do the will of the Father. And even right here, what he's talking about, the son of destruction, that the scripture may be filled, that the word may be fulfilled, the prominence of the word of God may be lifted up and exalted and fulfilled. And so we're always going to see this in them. And why are they doing this? Why is there this work that they do? You know, even right here at the end of verse 13, so that my joy may be fulfilled in them. You know, and you're even going to see that with Paul and with Moses, you know, that he wanted in the people, they wanted in the people of God that the joy of God may be fulfilled in them, that they would mature and grow. You know, everything that they did in their life was not for them. They've cared very little for their own selves or even well-being if you looked at their lives. But all they ever did was care about God and how he could be exalted, how he could be loved, how he could be glorified, and how others could be strengthened and encouraged to do the same. And so I want to look at that. And, and another thing that Jesus also keeps saying in this whole chapter is that they would be one as we are one, and that they would know the joy that I've had with you before the foundation of the world. This is the heart of Christ. And why did Christ have this heart? Because his heart was devoted to do what pleased the Father. And these things please the Father. Let's jump down to verse 19. And for their sake, and for their sake, and remember I told you that we're going to keep seeing this word for their sake, for your sake, for his sake. For their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And look at this real quick. We're going to read a few more verses, but look. For their sake, I consecrate myself. Was it, did Jesus do it so that, is he saying, oh, I did it? Or did Paul or any of them, oh, I'm doing this so that everybody will know how holy I am and how good I am and know all the good works that I do? No, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified. His heart was always to, to do, and God loves when we consecrate ourselves unto him. And when we generally consecrate ourselves unto him for the purpose of knowing him, then what is produced that we, for the sake of others, begin to build them up and do things that would allow them to do the same thing. You know, that's the work, that, that's the difference. Like, I'm not up here preaching tonight. You know, I don't, like, go up and lead worship because I'm trying to get brownie points with everybody so that they can see how well I sing or how spiritual I am. You know, I could really care less. If I didn't have to, I wouldn't do any of these things, you know. But because God has called me to a place and wants me to be useful in the body so that we can all grow, and the, and the Scripture says that as we each do our part in love, we cause one another to grow. I believe it's Ephesians chapter 4. I think it's chapter 4, Ephesians. It says, as we each do our part in love, we cause one another to grow. And so what I, I and I'm going to keep driving this point home, 
there is righteous works prepared for us before the foundation of the world to walk out in Christ Jesus. But those works are produced from a heart that is devoted and completely His, that only wants to please Him and to accomplish His work and to do His will and to know His ways, to love Him with all His heart. When we're doing that, then we naturally begin to love those who He's placed in our lives. And there's a work that is genuine, that is done in us and through us, through Him, by Him, for Him, with His help, not our help, you know. And so I want to continue, and I really <laughs> I need to, to move on um, so that we can get to the other verses. But I really want to drive that point home, you know. Because what I've seen has happened in my life and what's happened in so many others' lives and what I've seen in the church is people have enough Jesus. They, have a, they go to church, you know, every Sunday, except, you know, that one they really don't feel like it every year. And they just have enough religion enough good works to soothe their religious conscience. It's like a checklist. Oh, I go to church every Sunday. Oh, I give to this charity twice a year. You know, uh, I prayed for this person, you know, when they were really struggling. So, you know, me and Jesus, we're good. And they're just, we just look for just to do enough to soothe our religious conscience so that we feel cool with God. And our heart's really not devoted in a way that wants to just do whatever he would have us do every second. You know, we just want to do enough for him so that we can then do what we want for us. And there is no devotion, you know. And so that's why all our work and our Christian service really means nothing. God don't need it, and he don't care about it, unless it's pouring from a heart that's overflowing with a joy that's produced through waiting upon God and being strengthened by him and getting to know him. Let's read a few more verses, um, and I'm going to move quick through this, and then we're going to jump over to another chapter. 20. Okay, sorry, 20, yeah. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. In I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as I have, even as you loved me. And so, something once again, just pointing out, like how he he wants us to be one and one with him. Like he's one with the Father. And even his glory, see how Jesus said glory, earlier in the chapter, he said, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that we shared before the foundations of the world. Right? Jesus' motivation, but oh, give me that glory, wasn't so, man, everybody can finally recognize. You know, the, re- the reason why is because something that he shared with the Father. It wasn't, oh, I want to be glorified so that, you know, this. All glory and honor is his. He's not trying to, oh, you know what I mean? Like, he ain't worried about that. He knows it's his. But he wants that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that perfect unity that I have, the, the motivation behind it all was love. And he even wants to share that glory with us. Look what it says in verse 20. It says, And I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, that they may be one, just as Father 
Father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. He even shares it with us. Why? Why does he do it? Next, the next part of the sentence, that they may be one even as we are one, and I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world, the world may know that you sent me and love them even as I, as you loved me. And so the, the motivation behind it is always, and if you see the example of Christ, his motivation was always to please the Father and so that us who are in him would be strengthened and share that love and share that relationship that he's had with the Father before the foundations of the world so that the world may see and know that the Father had sent him. And that's the motivation. And that's the difference. And that's what, you know, I want us to see today, what the motivation was and what he did. And that motivation came from a devoted heart. I'm going to keep driving that into the ground. A devoted heart to God first, a love that he had, a relationship that he had with him. And that's what produced the works that he did in the way that he was. And I just wanted to read the last verse in the chapter. And I'm 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And once again, just look at Christ's example, that the love with which, and this is the reason why he's doing all this, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And once again, his motivation and what he's doing and why he's praying this and why he came so that his love may be in us and I in them. You know, and so I want to keep continuing to see that. And let's jump over to Matthew real quick. Chapter 7. Yeah, that'd be the verse, actually. Verse 12. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and there are those who find it are few. And so a lot would almost think that maybe the verse before, verse 12, wouldn't almost go with this whole narrow gate, wide gate thing, but it does. It does. Because to do unto others as you would have them do to you is a dying to self, denying. And on a surface level, we can sort of, you know, before people in the right time or at church, you know, or when we're in public, you know, uh, we can easily seem like we're always doing for others what not, what not doing to what we would do for ourselves, you know what I'm saying? But when you're really in close personal relationships with people, you know, people you're around all the time, you know, it becomes a lot harder. And a lot of times, I know something that I'm confronted with every time I go see my family, you know, <laughs> is it's a lot easier to be snappy with them than it is with other people. Even uh, 
maybe with Darren. You know, I live with Darren. Um, and me and Darren spend a lot of time with each other, you know, and even confront each other sometimes, <laughs> you know, on things and hold each other accountable. And sometimes it's easier too. And so the narrow way, it says, for hard is the way, and narrow is the path that leads to life, and few are who find it, you know. And uh, few means few. <laughs> and so it is hard to deny, to die and deny ourselves, to live only for him and what pleases him, to seek his will out in, in all things. And like what it says, I believe, in Philippians chapter 2, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or uh, conceit, but in humility, considering others as more important than yourself. Not looking out for your own interests only, for, but for the interests of others. That is not easy. It is a denying, a denying. It's denying yourself and picking up your cross and following Christ. Because Christ never did anything that was pleasing to him. He only did everything that was pleasing to the Father. It wasn't for him, it was for him. It wasn't for Jesus, it was for him. It was for the Father. And let's jump down to, uh, this is the main part, but I just wanted to read that right there. The main part of this chapter that I wanted to focus on. Uh, verse 21. And this is our example right now of what Christian work, you know, or what a bad example of this would be. You know, someone who's hiding in the church while seeming to be very spiritual. Uh, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who do, does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I really like how the NLT says it. It says, only those who actually do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And uh, the New King James says those who practice lawlessness. That's my favorite translation of that verse. It says those who practice lawlessness. And he's talking about people in the church. This, this verse right here, he's not talking about people outside the church. He's talking about people in the church that are saying, Lord, Lord. They're emphatically declaring, Lord, Lord. There's someone who identifies with the Lord. You know, did we not do this and this and this and this? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And it doesn't matter if you say you know the Lord. What really matters is does he know you? And how does he know us? In a close, personal relationship that was bought by the highest price. There is no other high price. No one could pay this price. He's the only one who could pay it. It took the death of his son to pay that price so that we could have that relationship. Those who practice lawlessness. And see, it's not, oh, well, even, I don't care if you never smoked a cigarette, you never cussed, you, you don't eat the wrong food, uh, you don't hang around the wrong people, um, you give to charity every year, several times a year, uh, you go to the right church, you're a part of all the, the right programs in the church, and you're serving at the church, that does not make you 
not practice lawlessness or a worker of lawlessness. What makes you a worker of lawlessness is one who does not seek to do the will of the Father. Okay? The will of the Father is that I would grow in a relationship with Him and only do what He would have me do and only say what He would have me do or say. It's not, oh, I'm just obeying this checklist of rules so that everybody can see that I'm a good person. Rules mean nothing to me. Laws mean nothing to me. More and more as I'm growing my relationship with God, all that matters to me is that I'm doing what He wants me to do, that I'm accomplishing in my life what He's called me to do, and that I'm being strengthened so that I can do the work that He sent me here to do. And in that, do I obey some commands and laws? Yeah, I do. In that, do I give to people on a regular basis when the Lord's moving upon my heart? Yes. You know, do I help people who can't help themselves? Yes. Do I go to a church service and be with God's people? Yes. But am I doing that because it justifies me? No. I do it because I love him and I want to know him and I want to walk with him and I want to be where he is and do what he's doing. It's all from a motivation to walk closer with him and to know him in a greater measure. It's not to keep a set of rules. It's not. And you know why? It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no, what? Law. I'm not, the more and more I'm getting older and growing more in Christ, the less and less I'm concerned about laws or rules. You know, uh, at our house, there's, I think there's some rules on the door. Never really read them. And I'm pretty sure Darren would tell you, I don't have to. Why? Because I'm seeking the Lord. And I want to be led by the Lord. And I want to do what's pleasing to Him. So I guarantee you, any rules anywhere, I really don't have to worry about. Because the Father will lead me and guide me. And He will not direct me in a way that would do that. Unless they're directing me to do something that would be against Him and His Word. That's the only exception. But as far as rules and being in society and around people, I don't have to really worry that much about am I doing the right thing or am I doing the wrong thing. And if I do end up doing the wrong thing or I offend someone, and sometimes there is a time to offend. Jesus, one of his names in the scripture is the rock of offense and a stone of stumbling. You know, so there is actually a time for that. And God will come in and cut us and offend us and hurt us sometimes so that we can be healed, that he can build us back up for his purpose, for his glory, for his honor, for him, for him, for him. You know. Um, once again, you know, everything that we can do, it's not about us at all. It's about him. Let's move on because, oh my gosh, yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> we got a lot of verses. Uh, let's jump over to um, Acts chapter 20. And real quick as we're doing that, I'm just going to paraphrase because I didn't realize how much time, and I don't want to keep y'all too incredibly long. 
I was my my goal was to keep it under 45 minutes. So we'll see if I can do that. How long does it say it's been recording, Stephen? Dang. All right. Probably won't get everywhere I was hoping to get to as far as in the scripture, but praise God. Starting at verse 17, I think it's up on the board. Cool. Now, from Miletus, I think that's how you say it, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold... I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And look at this, once just right off the bat, like his heart and how he came, he served in humility. He didn't shrink back. And, I, and I'm going to hit that a little more. He says, I didn't shrink back in declaring God's word to you. And he's going to say that uh, later on in this chapter in a second. You know, uh, he's going to say that again in a little more depth. But look, he literally said, and now I am bound by the Spirit to head to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me there, but that the Holy Spirit tells me in town after town that jail and persecution await. But my life means nothing to me unless I finish the work that was given to me by our Lord Jesus to preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was his heart. That was, he was so devoted. Everything that he was doing in humility and how he wasn't shrinking back from declaring God's word and all that he had done up to that point and all that he knew that was going to happen to him, the only thing that God had revealed to him and where the Lord was telling him to go. He said, now I'm constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. God is making him go. And you know what the Lord told him? He didn't say, ha, hallelujah, you're going to have a mansion. Ha, God wants you to be rich. Ha, it's now is your time for your blessing. Ha, it's your best life now. That's a gospel of self. These are harsh, false gospels that are being preached here in America. But he said that the Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and persecution await. Some say jail and uh, affliction. Some say jail and suffering or imprisonment and suffering. But it's all saying the same thing, that the Holy Spirit testifies in city after city. But he said, but my life means nothing to me. Only that I would finish the work that he gave me to do. Why did he do all these things? Was it because he was getting all this stuff? No. And we're going to look at, in a little while, we're going to go over to Colossians, and he's going to say, 
you know, fixing her eyes on the things above, not the things here below. His eyes were focused on him and the hope of glory and one day spending all of eternity. He didn't care. And Paul, man, that, that guy went through suffering. I mean, I'm talking about suffering, man. He suffered, man. But he still, and this actually was towards the end of his life. Like after he had gone through an amount of suffering that's actually hard to comprehend, you know, he said, but my life means nothing to me. All he cared about was doing what the Father sent him here to do. And that heart that was devoted to him, produced in him, works. Not for himself, but for others and for him. So that they may know him, and that they may grow in him. And that the gospel may be preached and that God may be glorified. That's the difference. That's the difference. And can we find that tonight? And I think this is something like, I'm, man, the message comes to the messenger first for a reason. I've been convicted all week as I've gone over these verses and I've thought about these. And I've, I've been crying out to God. I'm like, Lord, I'm so spiritually lazy and I'm so full of self, Father. Almost all I do is for me and not for you, Lord. Let's read a, a, a few more verses. Once I find where we left off. Okay. And now, be, verse 25, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I just, before I, I read a few more verses, how I did not shrink back in declaring the whole counsel of God. You know, and why would that? It would almost seem weird, especially... In this culture, you know, that uh, why would you shrink back, you know, from declaring God, brother? You know, in the whole word, the whole counsel of God, brother. You know, because in most of the churches, man, they make everything you're talking about is so great. And everything's so good. You know, all the time. It's all about us. Hey, Summer, Chris. Y'all are sort of distracting people. All right. Thank you. Um, so it's so great. Why would, oh, why would he shrink back? Because God, he's so good and everything. No, trust me. You begin to preach the true gospel and the full counsel of God, people will be offended. People will hate you and they will persecute you. Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. If they have hated me and persecuted me, they will hate you and they will persecute you. And Jesus was just doing what the Father would have him do. And he was saying what the Father would have him say, and they hated him. And you know where you will find a great deal of that hate and persecution? In the church. The most persecution and the most hate that I've received walking out this Christian walk and preaching the truth of God, t 
talking about the truth of God, teaching the truth of God, walking in the truth of God has not come from this lost and dying world, but it came from the church. And when we, we read here in a few more seconds, uh, I believe, it may be in another chapter and we're not going to get there, but he's talking about how from the Jews and from the people of God, he, he kept talking about how all the persecution and most of the suffering that Paul went through, do you know it came from the so-called people of God? It wasn't coming from the world. Yes, people in the world did persecute him and, and hurt him in ways, but do you know where he was constantly running from and constantly in, in danger from? The Jews. Yeah, he had to play the Roman card. He did. He did play the Roman card. He played that card. You know. And same thing with Jesus. Do you know where most of the persecution and everything came the only reason why the Romans messed with Jesus is because the Jews insisted. And they were occupying the, the Jewish country. And so they sort of like, hey, well, you know, Pilate's like, man, I've already messed up several times. You know, the emperor says, if I mess up again, I'm out of there. And when, you know, you were out of there in the Roman government, you were out of there. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so the only reason why the Romans even messed with them was because the Jews, the people of God. And when you decide to be devoted to him and only him and to do what he would have you do and to say what he have you say, those who are not doing so will begin to persecute you and to hate you. And the enemy will speak all kinds of things into their ear, ear against you. And I've been there thinking that and thinking evil of brothers and sisters why they were walking out their walk with Christ and just seeking to devote him. And because there was a lack of devotion in my heart to the Lord, I began to think evil and even think that they're against me. And really all it was was accusations, accusing of the brethren from the enemy. Let's read a few more verses. Um, 29. And know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And look at Paul. Look at Paul, man. He, some would say, is the greatest apostle. And he wrote over half the New Testament. And you know that through Paul's whole ministry, he received nothing from the church. He didn't look for it. He didn't try to receive it. Every once in a while, he got some help. I think he got some help from the Philippians. I think some from the Thessalonians. And he thanks them for that in, in his letter. And he says that the Lord's accrediting it to their account. But for most of his ministry, when he went anywhere and he was planting churches, do you know that he not only worked to support himself, 
But his entourage, the people that came with him, night and days, he would preach all night and he would work all day as a tent maker. I don't know what it was like making tents with hides back then, but I guarantee you it was probably some pretty hard work, man. And it said that Paul in the book of Acts would preach so long that there's people that would fall out of windows because he was preaching so long. They fell asleep in church. You know, they, you know screw that. They didn't need the sticks that uh, Abby was talking about to wake, <laughs> wake you up. You fell out of <laughs> the upper room because it was so packed. You fell asleep. You know what I mean? And the guy died and brought him back. He would preach all through the night. And then he would work all day so that he would take nothing from no one and that he would be an example. Everything, and this is what I want to point out, everything he did was not for himself, but it was for the benefit of others because he was seeking to do the will of him who sent him. The reason why he was going to Jerusalem, you know, he could have been like, heck no. And, and everybody here didn't want him to go. They're like, don't go. You know, we read the end of the chapter, they're all bitterly crying. He said, we'll never see your face again. You know, before this, and I think the chapter before it, or maybe the chapter after, you know, a prophet comes up and ties, takes off his belt and ties his hands and feet and says, this is what will happen to you when you go to Jerusalem. But he still goes. Everybody's like, don't go. You're going to be persecuted. The Holy Spirit kept telling himself, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be imprisoned. He's like, I don't care. Everything he did, man, this wasn't just some lazy dude. He wasn't just flying, oh, I'm the great apostle Paul who writes all these great letters, you know, who preaches and does all these great miracles, you know. Oh, see? No, man, his heart, he worked night and day, not only in the word, but just in labor, like actual labor to support himself and others. And this is what I want you to see. This is what I want us to see tonight. That, you know, we're not, like Jesus said, Lord, Lord, did I not do this in your name? Did I not do that in your name? You know, now you're supposed to let me in. He never, oh, you owe me this, Lord. Or, you know, these people owe me this. It was, Lord, you've given all for me. Now I'm going to give all for you. It's a different mindset and a different way of thinking. Um, we're not going to have time to look at Moses, I don't believe. Um, and I'm going to, there's a few others, but I want to jump over to John real quick, and we're going to end there. First John, excuse me. And I, I sort of knew that that probably would happen. Darren probably even thought last night when I told him that I got eight passages of scripture. <laughs> that was probably pretty uh, ambitious, you know. Um, but hey, still, in my heart, I'm like, man, I, I love these passages, and there's just such good things in them. Let's go to uh, chapter two. I don't think I told him this one. But I'm gonna re- we're gonna read it real quick. Um, chapter two, verse three through five. No, wait, verse three through six. And by this we know that we have come to know Him. And He's gonna talk. We know that we come to know Him. We know that we're walking in a relationship with Him. We know that we're desiring to please Him, and to know Him, and to walk with Him, in all of our ways and all that we do. This is how we know. 
This is how we know. Right here. That we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so there's a difference, though. And if you know him, you're keeping his commandments. He just said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He's talking about just something that is the evidence. What is the evidence that I am walking in a relationship that loves him and is seeking to be devoted to him and to do what he wills. The evidence is that I'll just naturally obey his commandments. Back to the, the verse in chapter 7, verse 12 of uh, Matthew. What does it say? It says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for this is the law and the prophets. What is he saying? If you follow that, you will fulfill what? This. It's something that just flows out of you. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, this is the essence of the law and the prophets. What is he saying? What is he saying? He's saying this, his commandments, what he's commanded to us, will begin to flow out of us. Out of us, a well of water will spring up that will never run dry. That will never run dry. There's a difference. What is the motivation? What is the reason why I am obeying these commandments and doing these works? Is it because of what it will do and how it will benefit me? Or is it because of this relationship I have with him and this thankfulness I have for him and this desire that wants to please him and to know him more? See, and the, the last thing we're going to read real quick and we're going to close is uh, chapter 5. And this one I did tell him, so you should have that already. Uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this, once again, he's going to tell you how you know that you have done the first verse. By this, we know that we, we have been born of Him. Oh, by this, we know that we love the children of God. Excuse me when we love God and obey his commandments. Once, look what it says. How do I know that I love the children of God if I love him and obey his commandments? And see, the Holy Spirit will not lead me in my relationship to do anything that would be against his word. And since I'm doing nothing that would be against his word, it would naturally cause me to not only show and demonstrate but to actually physically, naturally, and spiritually love those who he has placed in my life who bear his name. Verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, it's not, man, I have to keep these. I have to keep these. No, they're not burdensome. Why? Because I love him. I just want to be like him. And if we would have had time, I would have got to Moses and, and how, you know, I was going to go to Exodus chapter 33 and he talks about, you know, God tells him, now go up from this place into the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
uh, the, the promised land. He's like, and I will drive out from among you the Hittites, the Parasites, the, Hib- the Hibites, the Amorites, and every kind of ite. You know, I will send an in- a angel to destroy them, and you will inhabit the land, and it will be a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you all are stiff-necked people. And then Moses, <laughs> Moses is like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. You said, God, that you know me by name, that I have found favor in your sight, and that I am your friend. But who will you send with us? He said, if you will not go with me, then do not send us up from this place. And a lot of us would have, if we follow the, the model of the church here in America, man, we're going to the promised land. Man, he's going to whoop all of our enemies' butts. Man, and we're going to get to take all their stuff. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. How many of us would have took that deal if it meant he wasn't going to be there? I believe the great majority, at least 90% of the church in America would if it meant that God. Because really why they go to church is they're after the blessing, not the blesser. Anyways. There's two more verses we're going to read, though. What? Yeah. I'm pretty sure I heard that somewhere before, so it wasn't for me. The, the blesser, not the bless. Wait, the blessing, not the blesser. I, I'm pretty sure I heard that in preaching or something somewhere. So, But it's pretty good. It's good. Yeah, I stole it, so you can, you can use it, too. Uh, <laughs> for everyone, verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? A genuine, heartfelt belief in God, a genuine belief in God, a genuine faith from God produces works that overcome the world. It's not your works. It's not because of how good you are or because anything that you will get out of it. If your motivation is what you're going to get out of it, then you will not be producing works that overcome the world. You'll be producing dead works. And you have received a reward in full. But a true, genuine belief in Him produces a love in you that overcomes the world and points others to do the same also. And it starts, and I, I'm going to close. I mean, well, I've said that several times, but I mean, I'm literally, I close my Bible now because um, we're closing. You know, it starts in the prayer closet. It starts in reading his word. It starts in getting to know. And it's not just in the, I don't want to say the prayer closet and just the word. Because a lot of people do that. Because, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make myself, you know, right with God. I'm going to make me and God cool and he's going to begin to, you know, ha, ha, and all these things are going to fall into place. Whether anything falls into place, whether anything goes my way, whether anything gets easier for me or more comfortable or anything works out. No matter what happens, no matter what it means, he said, now I'm constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me there, but I know that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and persecutions await me, but my life means nothing to me. He did not care that it meant me following Christ, me growing in this relationship with him. And honestly, we know we had a relationship because the Spirit was speaking to him in city after city. He was someone who was very intimate with God. And so I'm not coming to be intimate with God so that everything will go well with me. 
I'm coming to be intimate with him because he is worthy and because he paid the highest price so that I could do that. And now as a result of a response to my heart, I want to love him and I want to know him his ways. You know, one of the things he said to God, Moses, in that chapter, he said, he's like, will you show me your ways so that I may find favor in your sight and that they may know that you sent me? And then at, at the end of the chapter, he's like, he's just, he's saying all these things. And remember, and something I wanted to point out about Moses, once again, he kept saying, but remember, these are your people, God. These are your people, just like Jesus. And I pray for them. I pray for them that they may be one, that they may be one. And everything that Paul did, and he's like, if you read his letters, I'm praying for y'all. I'm longing to be with y'all. I'm hoping that y'all will grow up into maturity. Man, it wasn't about them. It was about him and those who he placed in their life. And a true devotion to Christ will produce that every single time without fail. And at the end of it, you know what he said? I just love it because it's almost like Moses shift gears. He, all of a sudden, he's like, Lord, show me your glory. And once again, the works that we produce, like this circle, I, I go and I come to him and I'm filled with his love and with his joy. And then it begins to overflow to others. And I begin to see his love and his joy that he has in those that he has uh, filled and, and caused to, be bear, to bear his name. And I begin to do these things and pray these things. And then it just comes right back to, like, after he said all these, he's like, just show me your glory. Like, it's just like, I want to know you more. I want more of you, you know. And so that's all I really have. And, and I probably went over my allotted time. Um, although we didn't really talk about a time. <laughs> but I love y'all, and, and I, I thank y'all for, for hearing me tonight. And let's just uh, we'll pray. We just thank you, Father. We thank you for your mercy, Lord, that you have upon us, Father. And I ask that you would just help us, Lord, that you would bring conviction, Lord, and that you would reprove us, that you would correct us, that you would rebuke us tonight, Lord, and that would drive us to repentance, Father, that it would drive us to a heart that wants to be devoted to you, Lord, and that wants us to know you, and that wants to please you, Lord God, not because it means anything for us or what, it, what could happen for us, Lord, but because you are worthy, Lord, because you already did everything for us, Lord that we would know you more, that we would not desire to know your ways and to see your glory, Lord God, and that a heartfelt love for one another would be produced out of the relationship that we have with you, Father, and that devotion that we have with you, Lord, and that the world would know that you sent Jesus because of the love that we have for one another, Lord. I just ask that you would just help us tonight in this. Holy Spirit, that you would just strengthen each one of us tonight. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.